Welcome to Stories from Among the Stars. You're listening to The Last Watch by J.S. Dewis. Chapter 28 Adequin pulled herself up the last few rungs of the access ladder into one of the secondary passages of the Tempest's command deck. More corpses littered the corridor, and her breath caught in her throat. Fewer than half were drudgers. A few meters away, Arandus crouched over one of the human bodies, his fingers pressed firmly under their jaw. He shook his head, then let out a soft sigh, shifting to unhook the soldier's dog tags. A sharp prickle ran down Adequin's spine as her eyes drifted over each of the twelve fallen sentinels, Small holes scoured into the fronts of their navy vests from clean, close plasma fire straight to the chest. All but three still had their knives sheathed and pistols holstered. They'd been caught off guard. And why wouldn't they have been? The Tempest was a scouting vessel in name only, and nothing more than a flying repair kit in reality. The crew's endless cycle of struggling to keep a 200-year-old alert system in working order while micromanaging meager supplies meant readiness drills weren't even a part of the regimen anymore. In all likelihood, no one on the crew had seen combat training in years. She'd failed them in that regard, too. Griffith grunted, and she tore her gaze back down to the ladder, offering him a hand up out of the hatch. She hauled him up, and her imprints brought a metallic surge to her tongue, morphing into a sulfurous, bitter taste as it mixed with the acid that had risen from her stomach. He exhaled as he straightened his back, then stood unmoving for a few long moments, eyes drifting slowly over his fallen crew. He ran a stiff hand over his mouth, then blew out a long breath before moving forward to join Arandis. He knelt beside the oculus and began to quietly speak under his breath. She could only catch a few syllables, but didn't have to hear any of it to know what he recited. A traditional Caudian elegy used by non-secular and atheists alike. Countless times during the resurgence, she'd stood beside him as he spoke those words for their fallen comrades far too many times. She'd hoped to never hear them again. A dense pressure rose in her chest, and she found it difficult to catch her breath. Not from memories of the war, but because she hadn't once thought to offer any kind of parting words or last rites for the Argus's crew. For Lace, for Bray, for the hundreds of others she'd left behind. As heat rose to her face, she had to close her eyes and remind herself it was far from over. The time would come to mourn the dead, to pay homage to those they'd lost. For now, she had to focus on finding a way to make sure they didn't add themselves to the list of casualties. She swallowed the surge of guilt back down, then caught Arandis's eye. She nodded a silent order to stay with Griffith, then left the men and rounded the corner toward the central corridor of the command deck. Jackin stood outside the Taurus chamber door, hands on hips, boot twanging against the metal floor. Warner stood nearby, arms crossed. A gurgling, rushing hiss of liquid and gases from within the walls indicated the effusion process taking place, which meant for some reason the chamber's dampening effects had been activated and were now resetting. The counter on the screen beside the door read 95%. Effusion? Adequin asked as she approached. Jackin shrugged. To discourage the drudgers from trying to beat the door down, I guess. Took us a minute to figure out a way to disengage the mode manually. Where's Bach? With Arandis, collecting tags. Jackin frowned. We've got a couple of things we should probably discuss she added reluctantly. Jackin closed his eyes, then took a deep breath through his nose before letting it out slowly. He reopened his eyes. Hit me. For starters, comms aren't working. She held up her Nexus's flashing red comm link as proof. And 
time ripples. He didn't react at first, then turned his ear toward her as if he'd misheard. Sorry? If we're seeing time ripples here, how long do you think until the divide reaches Karin? Well, shit. That depends. I mean, we used to see ripples when we were still over a million kilometers away. He sighed and rubbed the back of his neck. We more or less flew straight outward from the gate. So assuming it's moving uniformly inward, which it very well might not be, maybe 24 hours, 36. That's a total bullshit guess though, boss. I have no way to know for sure. Before we left the Argus, Puck said it appeared to be accelerating. If it's still picking up speed? Jackin buried his face in both hands. Yeah, uh, so maybe definitely less. And Jack? Adequin began quietly, though she knew Warner could still hear, so she wasn't sure why she bothered. We saw a ripple of something that already happened. Jackin dropped his hands and looked at her steadily for a few long moments. I'm pretty sure that makes you the ripple. She glared. I'm not the fucking ripple, Jackin. He shook his head. That's not possible. You can't have seen the past. Jackin's voice disappeared under a din of klaxons as the ship violently jerked. A sudden pressure buffeted the air, and the oxygen sucked from Adequin's lungs as a wall of flame engulfed her vision. She spun away too slowly, and the left side of her face smoldered with heat before an imprint-induced numbness overcame the pain. Her vision disappeared into inky black as she tumbled away from the burst of fire. She landed on her back, writhing as she panted ragged breaths through clenched teeth. Her head spun, and her fingers drifted to the tingling, imprint-coated skin at her left cheek. They'd protected her from the brunt of it, though a subdued twinge of pressure told her they'd been just a little too slow. Her saliva filled with a metallic bitterness as the imprints buzzed, working to heal the burn. Groaning, she rolled onto her side to sit up, her still reeling gaze cutting across the smoke-laden corridor. The fire suppression system wailed, spewing out a coating of thick white foam across the smoldering debris. To her left, a half-meter-wide hole sat charred in the polished aerosteel wall opposite the tourist chamber, blackened chunks strewn across the corridor. Jackin's boots caught her eye, and she twisted onto all fours and crawled toward him. He lay on his side, expressionless brow coated in black soot. Breathing, she realized with a pang of relief. Shit, Jack, she shook him lightly, but he didn't stir. Like her own uniform, his fire retardant vest had repelled most of the flames, but the fringe of his collar had melted and caked into the blistering skin of his exposed neck. Glistening red and white burns seared the right side of his neck and jaw, scorching a path up through his beard to his cheekbone. It had fortunately missed his eye, though only by centimeters. Damn it, she growled. Jack, wake up. She rolled him onto his back, loosening the top strap of his vest to peel the fabric from the smoldering flesh before it had time to dry into the wound. Her eyes shot up as Griffith and Arandis ran around the corner, just as the fire suppression foam snuffed out the last of the licking flames. Arandis paused to help Warner, who cradled his elbow, but appeared otherwise uninjured. Griffith rushed over, kneeling on the other side of Jackin. What happened? He called over the screaming din of klaxons. No idea, she shouted back. Then a tingling flutter of relief washed through her as Jackin hacked out a series of sharp coughs. Griffith put a steadying hand on the unburned side of Jackin's face. Hey, Optio, this is really no time for a nap. Jackin sucked in a breath, then his eyes flickered open, sharpening a glare at Griffith through a sneer of pain. The knot in Adequin's stomach twisted. 
You okay, Jack? He gave a short nod, then hissed under his breath as his fingers drifted to the raw burns on his cheek. Yeah, I'll be fine, boss, but what? Warning, a computerized voice rang over the monotonous rhythm of sirens. Core systems compromised. Gaseous breaches detected on deck one, quadrants A, D. Deck two, quadrants A, C. Deck three. Adequin exchanged a concerned look with Griffith as the computer continued to list the affected areas of the ship. She glanced at her nexus, but she'd lost her connection with the mainframe. Griffith tapped at his own nexus, shaking his head. Network's glitching. I can't tell details, but it looks like the effusion cylinders have been breached. Effusion cylinders? She asked. The tanks that house the buoyancy cocktail for the Taurus chamber. Unsealing the door must have triggered it. It's leaching ammonia and hydrogen into the other systems. Jackin groaned as he pushed up to rest on his elbows. How the hell would that have happened? Fucking drudgers probably left a parting gift. Griffith growled. They couldn't salvage the ship themselves, and they sure as shit didn't want us to be able to get it going and come hunt them down. Adequin's brow creased. So they rigged the whole thing to blow? Rigged is probably a bit generous, Jackin explained with a pained grimace. They very well could have blown themselves up in the process, but a dozen or so mags worth of plasma arcs would have done the trick. No brain power required. Adequin steadied herself as the floor hitched and vibrated for a few seconds, like an aftershock tremor from a far off blast. Damage control systems fatigued, the computer announced. System-wide deflagration imminent, immediate evacuation advised. Uh, Arandis's alarmed look shot toward them. Deflagration means what I think it does, right? Shit, Adequin cursed. Shit indeed, Jackin said, pained grimace hardening into resolve. We need to get the crew free and hightail it out of here, boss. The effusion stalled out, Warner said. Doors are still locked. Adequin stepped to the Taurus control screen, gripping the edge of it as if she could somehow ring out the last percent. She tapped through a few menus to try and reset it, but the system didn't respond. She threw a look back to Griffith and Jackin. We gotta get this door open, fast. Ideas? When the computer fails, Jackin began. I'd say our best bet is brute force. Griffith looked to Warner and Arandis. There should be a boarding kit in the arms locker. The two rushed away, returning a minute later with a large gear case. Adequin threw open the case, tossing aside a pack of small charges. More explosions would have to be a last resort. Underneath a smattering of small electronics and hacking tools lay two thick crowbars. She pulled one out and extended it, the nanite-laden metal weaving itself together to form a single long handle. She caught Griffith's eye. You up for this? He gave her a flat look. She tossed him the crowbar, then took the other for herself. It's one of the few reinforced entries on the ship, Griffith explained. There'll be a blast door on either side of an inner seal. Copy that, she sighed. This would be a one for the price of three kind of deal. She walked to the Taurus chamber entrance, fitting the flattened end of the tool into the seam where the door bisected. Griffith did the same, facing the other direction. Adequin counted down, and together they heaved. She summoned every one of her imprints to aid her, which sent a jolt of prickling hot pain to the left side of her face, as the ones that had been dedicated to numbing and healing her burns rushed to join the others. A handful of squares slid to wrap low around her core, the rest rushing to bolster her upper body strength. Griffith bared his teeth, the pain evident on his crumpled brow. She eyed the alarming number of imprints on his arms that remained static, stranded, malfunctioning. The seam finally gave way, opening a couple of centimeters. Griffith held his side steady as she worked her crowbar farther in to find stronger purchase. 
They heaved again, repeating the process until the outer blast door's safety mechanism triggered and it slid itself into the open position. Adequin swept the beating perspiration from her brow, wiping her damp hand off on her pant leg before resuming her white-knuckled grip on the heavy crowbar. Unsurprisingly, the inner seal proved the most stubborn, but with even more imprint-infused effort, it gave way a minute later along with a short burst of cold, pungent, ammonia-tinged air. One more, Griffith said by way of encouragement, though the edge of his voice came strained under a tight grimace of poorly masked pain. He clearly still suffered from the effects of the forced deceleration, but she knew he'd be too stubborn to admit it, right up to the point of passing out. Yet even injured, with half his imprints malfunctioning, he still outmatched the others in strength. So as much as she wanted to force him to stop and send him directly to the synthesis's med bay, she had to let him see it through if she wanted to get the crew out in time. They positioned the crowbars again, and sweat stung Adequin's eyes as they heaved, growling through the final few centimeters until the inner blast door clicked and skated open the rest of the way. Inside the dimly lit circular chamber, three sentinels stood shoulder to shoulder, pistols aimed straight at Adequin and Griffith in the doorframe. Front and center stood Griffith second in command, a young circuiter with short black hair named Yura. Yura's blood-stained hands trembled as she lowered her pistol, brow creased in confusion. Exuberer, how- Beside her, the other two soldiers, both oculi, exchanged relieved glances. Though their faces were a mixture of flushed, scared, and angry, they all stood upright and appeared uninjured. Yura nodded to Griffith, her worry loosening a bit. Sir, good to see you made it. Likewise, Griffith rumbled. He wiped sweat from his brow, then rested a forearm on the doorframe. Everyone okay? Adequin asked. The two oculi holstered their weapons, then stepped aside. On the ground behind them lay Ivana, the Tempest's mechanic, unconscious, her alabaster skin a sickly shade of pale blue. Smears of glossy crimson coated the torn remnants of Yora's duty vest strewn all around, clearly used to try and staunch the bleeding. She's in a bad way, sir, one of the oculi said. Needs blood ASAP. A jolt rocked the ship, sending a groan of steel creaking through the metal walls. Adequin stumbled, but kept upright despite how slow her fatigued imprints positioned themselves. Save Griffith, the others lost their footing completely, tumbling to the deck. From the corridor over Adequin's shoulder, the ship's computer blared a repeat of the evacuation warning, adding to the list of affected quadrants. Yura's gaze hardened as she picked herself up off the floor. What's going on? Sit rep later, Adequin said. For now, we abandon ship. Everyone to the personnel airlock. Adequin made to pick up Ivana, but Griffith pulled her back. I've got her, Quinn, he said, and his steady tone left no room for argument. Okay. She eyed him as he limped toward the wounded mechanic. Just be careful. He knelt and lifted the small woman, his stoic visage thawing into a deep frown. His sweat-slicked brow furrowed as it became harder and harder for him to mask his pain. Yura and Warner escorted him into the corridor, trailed shortly by Arandis and the other two oculi. Adequin helped Jackin up off the ground, keeping an arm tight around his waist until his footing seemed sure. They worked their way back down to the main deck, then quickly donned their suits and crowded into the airlock. After confirming everyone's helmets were secure, Adequin swept the controls to depressurize. She opened the hatch door as another wave of small explosions rippled through the Tempest's corridors. Adequin ordered Griffith and Yura to move the unconscious Ivana across first, along with instructions to take her directly to whatever semblance of a med bay the synthesis had. Warner led Arandis and the other two Tempest crew members across, then Jackin climbed out next.
Adequin let him get a few meters ahead, her eyes drawing up the tall, broad side of the dark ship above her. The Tempest sat silent and black against the void, with only the narrow beam from the Synthesis's searchlight illuminating a small section of the aft. Coming, boss, Jackin's voice crackled over suit comms. She cleared her throat. On my way. She'd made it about halfway when Jackin pulled himself into the Synthesis's open airlock, then turned to look back at her. That's when she felt it. The tiniest pull, deep in her stomach, right at her core, willing her back toward the Tempest. Just as she'd felt on the Argus before having to watch Bray tumble to his death, vanishing into nothing. Her head spun and her limbs jerked on instinct to catch her, as if she was about to fall backward. Heart racing, she stole a glance over her shoulder and a flicker of movement caught her eye. The outline of the Tempest silhouetted in a flash of light that disappeared so quickly Adequin almost thought she imagined it. Then it came again, sharp and defined, a white static flicker from somewhere outward. With a single brilliant flash, the nose of the Tempest exploded. The light dissipated in an instant as the gas fully burned away. As if in slow motion, the large ship careened aft while debris flew in all directions, radiating out from the explosion in a strangely beautiful uniform arc. But instead of continuing the eternal trajectory as it should have, the trail of rubble slowed, reshaping into a narrow stream. The charred remnants twisted backward and outward, winding toward the divide like the flow of water snaking through a ravine. Shit, Jackin swore over comms. Rake, hurry. Heart pounding, she refocused and continued to pull herself forward, keeping watch on the drifting ship in her periphery. The tether fluttered in her grip like a taut string that had been plucked. Rake. Jackin shouted through suit comms. He hovered in the open airlock, reaching out, urging her forward. She'd only made it another few meters when the tether tugged roughly under her grip. She let go so it could slide between her hands as the remaining length expended from the synthesis. When it ran out, the Tempest would start pulling the synthesis along with it. Jack, she shouted, you gotta disconnect the tether. Uh, you're using it, he called back. I'll maneuver to you, she assured, letting go of the sliding line completely. Release it. She flicked on her MMU. A flashing red alert in her HUD warned that the thrusters were non-responsive. But she didn't have time to troubleshoot or belay the order. Just as the tether snapped taut, she gripped it long enough to fling herself forward, then let go. Jackin slammed his fist into the manual release switch, and the cable cut free from the synthesis. It snaked lifelessly, drifting away along with the careening tempest. Thankfully, Adequin's aim had been true, if not much, much too fast, and she sped feet first toward the open hatch. Shit, I'm coming in hot. Jackin cursed, yanking himself to one side as she flew into the airlock and crashed rather unceremoniously into the far wall. Pain shot through her joints as the left side of her body crumpled into the ridged metal plating and she bounced off. She scrambled to take hold of the grab rails, but they slipped between her fingers. Floating helplessly back toward the hatch, she noted with a modicum of relief that everyone except Jackin had already left the airlock. Thankfully, no one else had been forced to witness her deft display of EVA work. Bloody void, Rake, Jackin said as he braced himself on either side of the doorframe. He caught her in both arms, stalling her before she could sail right back out the hatch again. You do know what that rocket pack on your back is for, right? It's malfunctioning, some kind of interference. When they were somewhat steady, he let go to grip her shoulder, tapping a palm against the side of her helmet. You good, boss. Her stomach reeled and limbs ached from the impact, but she gave a quick nod.
Good. Spinning toward the hatch, she made to close the door when another flash of light burst from behind the tempest. Not the clean, static white of the divide, but another blue, domed burst. The explosion released from the outward-facing side of the ship, shifting the vessel's trajectory again, but this time pitching it slowly but certainly inward, directly toward the synthesis. Griff, she shouted through comms, tell me you're at the helm. The comms clicked and squealed in her ear, then his staticky response came through, garbled but comprehensible. Here, break, engines, response. Adequin cursed and punched the hatch controls, but it didn't comply. Instead, flashing a red warning, unsecured personnel. Someone was still outside the ship. She yanked herself into the open doorway and looked back toward the Tempest. Halfway across, three figures floated in the void, cast in the harsh light, reaching out and pulling themselves forward, as if clinging to a non-existent tether. The figures' edges blurred, skittering back and forth along the path between the ships, and it took Adequin a few seconds to recognize what she saw. Griffith and Yura aiding the unconscious Ivana across the expanse, exactly as they had minutes ago. Their synchronized progression lit by sporadic flashes of light as the divide grew closer. The doppelgangers seemed completely unaware of Adequin and Jackin's existence as they pulled themselves across an invisible tether toward the synthesis. Adequin glanced at Jackin, who gaped at the time ripple, the reverse time ripple in total disbelief. In a jittering flash, the three figures flickered and disappeared. The safety lockout cleared, and Adequin snapped back into the moment, punching commands into the screen. The hatch slid shut and repressurized. She and Jackin both botched their footing and fell to the ground as the ship's simulated gravity pulled down. Rick, Jackin breathed heavily, bracing himself on his elbows. That was the past. She swallowed, nodding slowly as she met his gaze through their visors. His bloodshot eyes were full of worry, and the charred burns that ran up his face were blistering and black around the edges. Quinn, Griffith's deep voice cracked over the suit comms. Cockpit, now. Adequin leaped to her feet and ran for the cockpit. Jackin tossed his helmet aside and followed. Adequin hastened up the two decks to the helm of the synthesis. Griffith sat strapped in the co-pilot seat with a half dozen holographic screens already docked above the control terminal. Jackin limped to the defense station on Griffith's right, while Adequin made for the pilot seat on the left. Shields up, she ordered, tossing her helmet aside. Working on it, Griffith rumbled as he tapped furiously at the interface. I'm here, Bach, Jackin said, pulling his harness over his shoulders. Griffith palmed one of the large screens and passed it along the dash. It cut out briefly as it jumped across to Jackin's starboard-facing terminal, which lit in a flurry of holographic screens as the defense station activated. Adequin pulled the loose safety harness over her head and buckled it, yanking to tighten the straps that had been set for the drudger captain's much thicker torso. She spread out a slew of screens onto the dash and tried to arrange the unfamiliar layout closer to what she'd expect in an SCL vessel of similar make. She supposed their trip out could have been spent setting control preferences and familiarizing herself with the ship's systems, rather than just standing there, anxiously devising every terrible scenario in which she might find Griffith dead or dying. Where are the others? she asked. Setting Ivana up in the med bay, Griffith answered. I sent your oculi down to make sure the warp core is seated. Sublights are currently offline. Copy, opticals on screen. Griffith grunted. Exterior cams are nothing but static. Perfect, she grumbled. Having to rely on sensors alone would make their withdrawal that much less fun. A pang of shame tightened her chest at the errant thought, an instinctive reaction ingrained in her long ago. She knew better, 
It had been one of Lujin's many mantras. Visuals were nothing but a security blanket, a way to make your brain feel like it might be doing something right, and certainly nothing you could ever rely on. The data was all that mattered. Finally, Jackin said, shields up at 100. Copy 100, Griffith said, then cursed under his breath as he continued to receive only error messages from the engines panel. Yura's sharp voice cut in from over Adequin's shoulder. Sirs, where do you need me? Adequin cleared her throat, indicating the terminal against the port-facing wall behind her, the mirror of Jackin's station. Take sensors. They're set for ship-to-ship combat. Let's get them switched to vector agility. Then Prio's a read on Tempest's volatility. Acknowledged, sir. Boss. Jackin called a warning over his shoulder. Shields are a great start, but if it crashes into us or blows up while we're still this close, they won't hold. That's a guarantee. Adequin slid a quick glance at Griffith. Engine report? Sublights are a no-go, Griffith responded, jaw tight. Something's interfering with the starter, but without a mechanic on deck, we're not gonna be able to troubleshoot in time. Tempest viability, sir? Yura began, her tone wary. I'm getting a lot of interference, but it's not good. We have minutes at best. Adequin let out a sharp breath. All right, fuck it. She palmed the FTL screen to expand it. Prepare for snap warp. She grabbed Karin's coordinates from the dock, then hastily dismissed a series of reproachful snap warp warning messages. Copilot authorize. Authorized, Griffith replied, punching the command into his screen. Adequin tapped to engage, but the console blurted out a casual negative tone in response. She resent the command, and Griffith tried again. The same disproportionately docile tone rang out. And again, nothing happened. Shit, Adequin growled. What's wrong? I cleared the risk warnings. It's not the snap warp, Griffith said. The drive just won't catch. Do we have eyes on the core? Sirs, Yura interrupted. I don't think it's the core. We're getting massive waves of interference across all systems. My telemetry's rough, but it looks like it's coming from the direction of the Tempest, though I don't see what could be causing it. We need to get farther from it before we can accelerate to warp speed. It's the divide, Jackin assured. Back at the Argus, the same thing happened to the SGL's warp drive. The SGL? Griffith laughed. Jackin ignored the snickering co-pilot. We didn't get warp back online till we were at least a few hundred clicks clear. Griffith's mirth vanished, and he threw a look over his shoulder toward Jackin. How the fuck were you only a few hundred clicks from the divide? Focus, Adequin ordered, and Griffith turned back to his screens. Ions, she began, but couldn't even get the full question out before he extinguished it. Still a non-starter. Fuck. The half-healed burns on her cheek stung as adrenaline-laced blood pumped through her veins. She'd worry later about tasking her imprints to continue the mending process. For now, she needed to put all her energy and focus into getting them out of there before the Tempest either crashed into them or blew them to pieces, or both. Any ideas? Jackin cleared his throat. Short of conjuring an interference dampener around the entire warp drive? That doesn't sound practical at the- The proximity sirens blared, drowning out the rest of Adequin's words as harsh amber light bathed the cockpit. Debris incoming, Yura announced, then started shouting approximate approach vectors over the din. Adequin barely had time to silence the grating alarms before the ship jerked and the straps of her over-tightened harness dug deep into her collarbones. Griffith let out a series of staccato grunts, cradling his bruised ribcage tighter with each jostling impact. Adequin gritted her teeth, then the onslaught finally ceased. Report. Shields 84, Jackin answered, tapping furiously into his console. Recharging. Keep them topped off. Pull from ancillary systems if you need to. 
copy. Yura? Looks like that was just Tempest's anterior Atmos cycler, Yura replied. Minor compared to what's coming, sir. Atmo? Griffith mumbled. What the fuck is this ship we're on anyway? Feels like a Nautilus. It's a lighter version, Adequin said. But yeah, same bones. A glint of amusement fractured his pained grimace. Remember when we were on Pallius V, and we had to steal that armored Nautilus to get off that infernal space station? Adequin chuffed a laugh. Self-extraction at its finest, but let's reminisce later, eh? Jackin grunted, seconded. Yeah, yeah, Griffith sighed. Super fun war memories. What I mean is, we had to get past the orbital defenses, and they'd frozen out the guns. So Antares jury-rigged that shield atmo bubble thing so we could just ram into that satellite and take the whole grid down. Jackin slid him a shocked look, and Adequin nodded as Griffith's point became apparent. Because Viator systems let you override airlock safety protocols. Griffith inclined his head. So you should be able to vent the atmo. Uh, into the shields? Jackin asked. Exactly, Griffith said. We KO'd the satellite and bounced right out of orbit as a result, which wasn't ideal at the time. But now... Adequin nodded slowly. Now it was exactly what they needed. She chewed her lip, racking her brain to try and remember how Antares had pulled that shit off. The woman had been the senior-most titan among them, and the very definition of maverick, constantly proposing objectively dangerous ideas which, because they worked more often than not, were seen as brilliant instead of lucky. Void, Jackin chuffed. Rake, are you really considering this? It's sound, North, I swear, Griffith said. It not only gives a spatial buffer, at the cost of integrity, Jackin interjected, but can increase integrity, Griffith went on. The added tension supports the shield as a whole. Like pulling a piece of fabric taut, Adequin offered. Fuck, Jackin cursed, then mumbled. I hate how much sense that makes. No harm in trying, Quinn, Griffith encouraged. Except that it sounds ridiculously dangerous, Jackin argued. We don't design our ships that way for a reason. Besides, once the tempest blows, how do you know we'll ricochet off the debris field and not just plow through it? Adequin shook her head, the back of her throat going dry. I'm choosing to be optimistic. Physics doesn't really give a shit about your existential disposition, Rake. I know, Jack, she shouted back. It's all I've got, okay? If the shields hold, it'll work. I know it will. And we're at arm's length of it. We'll get hit well before the debris has a chance to disperse. It'll be like smashing into a cracked brick wall. Cracked, but it's still a damn brick wall. Just trust me, okay? That's a big ask at the moment, boss. You got another idea, North? Griffith grunted. No, I just didn't realize we'd opened the table to suicidal options. The synthesis rocked with more small impacts, sending the alarms into another frenzy. Time to think suicidal, Griffith said. Fuck, all right. Adequin exhaled slowly as her thoughts reeled. Jackin was right, it was a risk. But they had zero alternatives and were already out of time. She expanded the life support interface. We're doing this. We got personnel in the back, boss, Jack warned. I'll isolate them. Yura, call them to the med bay. Yura hopped on comms. Griff, trigger quarantine buffers, Adequin went on. It'll help direct the airflow. Jack switched to banded shield mode, then undocked the manipulation screen and send it my way. They voiced their acknowledgments, while Adequin tapped out commands, sealing the cockpit before cordoning off smaller sections of the ship, creating a direct, sealed path from the atmospheric cycler to the dockside airlock on the posterior of the ship. 
At least from that direction, the force of the expulsion would propel them laterally and not directly toward the self-destructing tempest, not to mention the divide. Cruise in the medbay, Yura confirmed. Adequin sealed the medbay bulkhead and deactivated air cycling before sealing the vents shipwide. Jackin's defense screen arrived in her queue, and she flicked it open, then quickly tapped in the commands to extend the shields out from the hull of the ship. Extending ten meters, she said. That might not be a big enough buffer, Griffith warned. Then fifteen. Jackin blew out a harsh breath. Too thin. We'll lose cohesion. Fuck. Twelve and a half? Griffith and Jackin exchanged a look she didn't have time to analyze, and she locked the final number in. Pass me thrusters, she ordered, and Griffith slid her the thruster control screen. She was getting really tired of having to move ships with fucking maneuvering thrusters. At least this time she only needed to roll them, so the belly would take the brunt of the impact. It was more thickly armored than the rest of the vessel by almost 50%, and devoid of any exterior systems or hatchways. However, when she keyed in the angles and prepared to engage, the readout flashed a vehement thruster systems offline warning. Bloody void, she growled. Do any of the fucking systems on this ship work? Uh, life support, Yora responded carefully, seeming unsure if the outburst had been a legitimate question. And, uh, weapons, sir. Adequin paused, exchanging a dubious look with Griffith. That wasn't a half bad idea. Griffith gave a curt nod to indicate his agreement. Adequin undocked the useless thruster control screen. Disengage stabilizers. Disengaged, Griffith responded before she'd even finished giving the order. Uh. Guys, what? Jackin asked, not privy to their line of thought. Jack, what kind of recoil dampener system does this thing have? It's thruster controlled, Jackin answered. They automatically counter when ordnance is fired. Perfect, she said, gladly accepting that bit of good news. With thrusters already offline, there'd be no need to figure out how to counter the dampener system. One less thing to worry about. Jackin's voice creaked with alarm. Um, yeah, and that's perfect. How, exactly? The synthesis shook with another round of short-lived tremors. The high-pitched vibrations rattled in Adequin's teeth as the shields incinerated waves of small debris. Jack, what's the armament? Adequin asked, voice wavering in her chest. Uh, one sec, Jackin said. Looks like the heavy hitters are two plasma cannons and four quad laser turrets, all dorsal. There's a dozen point defense flax and six railgun turrets. Here. He passed her a diagram of the ship, highlighting two banks of flat guns lining the port and starboard beams. She arrowed through to see the rest of the ordnance, then spun the holographic model and took note of the four other flak arrays on the dorsal bows and quarters. Looks like there's some aftermarket ship-to-ship missile launchers, too, Jackin added. They haven't even been tied into the primary systems. Shit, there's 12. The vibrations finally ceased, and Adequin pushed out a steadying breath. Tell me there's payloads. All 12 primed with seeker frags, with a second set in reserves. Fucking hell, Griffith said. That's quite an array for a ship this size. Adequin couldn't disagree, but she didn't currently have the faculties to fret over the reasons a drudger ship might be that well-armed. Pushing aside the unease, she mentally tallied up the firepower. She was certainly no ordnance expert, but she'd fired enough random weaponry from starfighters with busted dampeners to appreciate what kind of impact it could have. Considering their mass, it wouldn't be enough to offer any appreciable translation, but it should be enough to roll them. Okay, Jack, spin up those guns, she ordered. Uh, all of them? All of them. He cleared his throat and began to comply. You have a vector, boss? 
She maximized the navigation screen, which continued to emit a useless mess of static and oscillating numbers. There was still no way to tell which way was which, and no time to troubleshoot. She closed her eyes for a heartbeat, racing through the synthesis's layout in her mind's eye to orient herself. Then she hastily assembled the variables, a rough idea of the rates of fire, mass of the ballistics, a general notion of the ship's weight, and where the hell the center of mass might be. It wasn't something she could truly calculate, certainly not in her head, with the veritable powder keg about to blow next door. But she didn't have time to ask the computer to run scenarios. Her gut instincts would have to be good enough. She cleared the hesitation from her throat. Bearing 095, Karim 310. She clenched her teeth and sucked in a deep breath, trying not to think about how much of a total bullshit guess that was. Jackin scoffed. Are you seriously trying to use ordnance as torque right now? Adequin's face burned hot, and she threw a glare at him. Just do it, Jack. Void, he cursed, then reported back the bearing, voice wavering. We got more debris incoming, Yura warned. Jack, you'll need to ride them as they fire, Adequin said. Goal is a 90-degree roll, so counter back as needed to get that underside forward. Shit, yeah, I know. I'll do my best, boss. Ready on your mark. Straps cut into Adequin's chest again as the ship jolted hard. A blazing red warning burst onto her overview screen as hull integrity predictions plummeted. Now or never rake, Griffith yelled as Adequin called out, Mark! Jackin fired and Adequin punched the airlock override. Her weight slammed back against the seat as the ship shifted, a cold pressure built against her eardrums, and she sucked in a shallow breath as the atmosphere seemed to lose saturation, diluting until thin and feeble like the air at the top of a mountain peak. Though the synthesis's direction of gravity maintained the floor as down, Adequin could sense the subtle shift as they began to reel from the recoil of the expelled weapons, turning their underside forward to face the tempest. You got it, Jack, Adequin encouraged. I can feel it working. Jackin swore between calling out bursts of fire and his modified bearing adjustments. Sensors show a 50-degree roll and counting, Yura confirmed. Holy shit, North, you're doing it, Griffith said. Void, Jackin grumbled. Mind not sounding so surprised. Proximity warnings overtook the small cockpit again, carpeting their temporary optimism in a din of blaring klaxons and abrasive amber light. That was it, Yura announced, tone hard. The effusion cylinders went up, along with the rest of the ship. Large-scale debris and radiative impacts imminent. Incoming bearing, uh, 010, Karam 263. Cease fire. Adequin ordered, and Jackin complied. Match that bearing. Weapons free. New bearing set. Firing. Jackin called as he spun the ordnance-turned thrusters in the direction of the blast to coincide with the ricochet. Impact, Yura began to call out, but her words dropped from her throat as the ship heaved. Adequin's head snapped back against the padded headrest, sending a shock of pain down her back as the full force of the shrapnel slammed into the shield bubble and the fractured pieces of the tempest propelled them inward, away from the divide. Alerts erupted across the dash, shield impact alarms, hull integrity warnings, evasive maneuver advisories. Shields? Adequin called out over the blaring alarms. Holding. 42, Jackin grunted each word out from behind clenched teeth. Damn it, the heat sinks can't keep up, Griffith said, the words wavering in his chest with the violent vibrations. He tossed a defense system screen up in front of Adequin. Adequin ground her teeth as she stared at the four climbing thermal gauges. You mean the ship's not meant to have every single one of its guns firing at once? 
The previously thin, cool air had taken on a muggy quality, warming and thickening as if the strained heat sinks were leaching warmth up through the decks. We gotta decrease the rate of fire, Griffith warned. We have to hold out until we can warp, she insisted, forcing firmness into her tone, even as the temperature gauges hiked higher and higher. The ship lurched, and the velocity readout on the dash continued its steady escalation, one of the few instruments that seemed to work. Just a few more seconds. Yura's hope-filled tone rang out seconds later. Interference is clearing. The radiation burn is killing us, Jackin said. If we don't warp soon, shields are gonna disperse. Adequin gripped the armrests of her chair to try and steady the unending vibrations. Quinn, heat sinks are gonna melt down any second, Griffith said. Unblinking, she stared at their speed as it continued to rise. Rake, what are you waiting for? Jackin shouted. The velocity meter ticked up again. She hovered her hand in front of the command, tightening a fist and digging her nails into her palm as she forced herself to wait. Then, finally, the velocity hesitated, no longer increasing, but not decreasing either. Co-pilot, Adequin began, just as Griffith punched the snap warp authorization. She slammed to engage. A grating roar ripped through the ship, like the echoing wail of a thousand metal girders crumpling in half. Adequin's thrashing pulse hammered against her eardrums. All at once, the shrieking clamor silenced, the vibrations ceased, and the wash of red light extinguished, returning the cockpit to its normal, dim hue. Adequin held her breath, eyes unblinking as she fixated on the distressingly static FTL status screen. Convinced the interface must have frozen, she reached out to wake it, but before she could reach it, it flickered, lighting with confirmation of a successful warp acceleration. Her racing pulse steadied, and cool relief flooded through her. They'd accelerated to warp speed, back to Gate. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow Stories from Among the Stars on your preferred podcast app to get the next episode. Or if you just can't wait, you can find The Last Watch and its sequel, The Exiled Fleet, wherever books or audiobooks are sold. Thank you.